So, all right, well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We are covering the first 13 verses of this chapter. And the title of this morning's message is Be Ready, Be Filled. And this whole um, Olivet Discourse of Jesus, uh, keep in mind it's with his disciples and he's uh, telling, telling them, uh, describing the last days and how it w- they will look. And he's also describing to them, telling them how it is that um, Jesus' disciples should be prepared for the very day in which we live in today. We can live expectantly, uh, keeping in mind Christ's imminent return, and uh, so we, would, we should live expectantly. And it should reflect in how we live um, toward each other, and um, most importantly, toward the Lord. And so... Let's start out by reading these verses, first 13 verses in chapter 25, and, uh, and then we'll continue. All right, so verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, asking that um, you would help us to, Lord, keep in mind how it is that the time of your return will come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, with the shout of an archangel, but it will be sudden. Lord, all the warning shots have been fired. Lord, all the prophecies have been fulfilled up to the point of the rapture of your church. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of your imminent return. That, Lord, as we are living our lives, that we are not living carelessly, that we are not living as the world lives, but we would be living our lives in such a way that you are glorified, keeping our eyes fixed on you, knowing that you require, require of us that we would be good stewards of that which you have entrusted to us, that we would do uh, the work of an evangelist proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, and we would lead peaceful lives, blessing our families, our marriages being led by the Holy Spirit and according to your truth. Lord, that we would conduct ourselves in such way, such ways that, Lord, you are honored in seeing a spiritual integrity. 
And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would give us understanding. And, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to be ready at all times. For you will return soon. Thank you, Lord, and we commit this time into your hands, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this chapter continues Jesus' Olivet Discourse. What Jesus had described to his disciples was basically the last days and how they would look. No one knows the day or the hour of the rapture of Jesus Christ, of the church, as his coming for her. But the signs can be determined by what has been explained. And we are expected to be ready. There, there is an expectation. There is a, a standard that we are to be living by. Not for our salvation, but that which is required according to the Word of God. That those lives would be lives that are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Ready for the Master's return. Living expectantly as if Jesus can, because He will return at any time. Remember that Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, sitting across from the temple. And he's talking with his disciples. And he continues here in this chapter to talk to them about the preparation and expectation that should be evident in the lives of those who claim to be his followers. Those who believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he said that his return was going to be sudden. He will return, and we need to be ready. And the question that I pray as you listen, as we come through this study this morning, there's this question that we should always be asking ourselves and submitting to the Lordship of God in our lives, and that is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you? I pray that you are, but I pray that you're also stirred this morning. That you, the word itself causes you to look more intently to the Lord. That you would be drawn to Him in a relationship that is intimate and completely given to His leading in your life. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is regarding the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Actually, we're going to start in 15. So the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians writes this. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, or snatched up, or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I know we read this, I believe it was last week, we cannot read this enough and be encouraged by it. We need to live, I think one of the things that um, we're going to see from our study this morning, 
one of the things that we can do is grow weary of waiting. And so we start returning to the old way of living, to doing the things that we once did and haven't done for quite some time, and we return to those things. He also spoke of the day of the Lord or judgment. As he continued to write to the Thessalonians, these are the things that we ought to read and study and know within the churches, within the church, complete throughout the world and be encouraged by it, that we would be ready for the Lord's return. Because the Apostle Paul continues in verse 1 of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And we could go on. I mean, this is a wonderful study through the letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. But the point that I'm bringing you to is that last thing that he says there, but you are not in darkness. In other words, you're not groping in the dark like someone who is blind, trying to feel your way through. You are in full knowledge. You should have understanding that we as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers, should be walking in the light and the truth, fully knowing, fully understanding, not ignorant, Knowing what's required, what's the standard? How then shall we live if we have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ? How then shall we live if we know God's grace has been poured out on us? It's a standard. It's the truth. It's what we should be walking in. Being fully ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And it's with that that we come back And we need to realize what the Lord is doing. He continues to address His disciples. He tells them these two parables. We're going to cover one parable this morning. Next Sunday, we will cover the next parable. But He tells them about these two parables to help them and us this morning understand how we should be ready when He returns. This is how you are to be ready when the Master returns. When the Lord returns. He should find you living an expectant life. Oh, there you are. I knew you were coming. I was ready for you. I'm ready for you. Are you guys ready for the return of Jesus Christ? I guess not. Okay. We need to keep in mind that Jesus had referred to himself as the bridegroom back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. We've covered that in his answer to one of the John the Baptist's disciples, who was asking why it was that they and the Pharisees fast, but the disciples of Jesus Christ do not fast. Why, why is that? And Jesus replied to him. He said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, 
and then they will fast. Well, the bridegroom was with them. Jesus was with them. So there was no need to fast. And so Jesus was referring to himself as a bridegroom. Thus we come forward to this parable of the ten virgins. And we know that this continues, this thought, this understanding. Are you ready? What evidence is there of your readiness in your life? Because with that, we can, we can realize. And it's good. When you ask the Lord, uh, Lord, reveal anything that is not of you in my life. When he does reveal those things to you, what do you do with them? That's what's important. Do you confess? You know, confession is not just realizing that it's a sin. That, that's not confession, by the way. That's just, okay. You've brought it to my attention. Uh, when you do that with a child, that's not confession. Hey, you messed up, son. That's not yet confession. When they say, I agree with you. I messed up. Not giving every other excuse in the world. Justification as to why it is that they did what they did. That, that, that's not confession. That's just a, an acknowledgement that you said that that was wrong. You, you say. So you say. That's arrogance. That's pride. Stubbornness. Confession is when we agree with God. I confess to you, Lord. You are right. That is the standard. That is the truth. And I have broken your law. That is confession. Repentance is not just being sorry, but it's turning from your sin. It's doing a 180, not 360. It's doing a 180 and turning the, in the opposite direction. You're running away from the Lord. Well, you need to run to the Lord in that direction. It's the putting off and the putting on. So when, when there's a lack of evidence in your life of your readiness for the return of Jesus Christ, what do you do? Do you have the Holy Spirit? And does the Holy Spirit have you? We need not be afraid of the Holy Spirit, for it's with Him that we have been secured. We have been sealed for the day of redemption. It's with Him that He gives us, He teaches us, He gives us understanding of the Word of God. And it is only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we know salvation. And have you been a faithful steward of the gifts that God has entrusted to you? That's also evidence. We'll see that next week because it continues. There's a second parable. As Jesus speaks, he points out what would be evidence of a people who are ready for his return, who demonstrate a faithfulness toward him. That is, the ready and wise disciple, the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ. Instead of being like that wicked servant that was described in the last portion of chapter 24 that returned to doing wicked things because he got tired of waiting. You tired of waiting? He got tired of waiting. He was considered a wicked servant. His master was delaying, not knowing that the master would be back in an hour he does not know. And then having to deal with the consequences of his unfaithfulness and wicked behavior. We are told to be like the five wise virgins who were ready for the bridegroom. Not like that wicked servant. 
not like the five foolish virgins that we're going to study this morning. So ten virgins went to meet the bridegroom. Again, verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. What Jesus was giving the disciples is a parable very familiar in that day. It wasn't anything that they had to guess about. He didn't explain anything. Not at that point. We need to explain this morning. He didn't have to explain at that point. And the lamps that they had taken were more like, by the way, I, I do have to explain this, they're more like torches. They're not like those lamps that have the oil in them, the kerosene that you pump a little bit and you light it. Not like that, but more like torches. Torches that you see in some of the movies. That's what the lamps were. These were torches with some type of material wrapped around the end of a wooden pole, whether it be rope or some type of material that is soaked in oil. Um, something combustible would be, it would be soaked in. A Jewish wedding had three stages. Number one, the engagement. This was usually set up by the fathers of the bride and groom. This could happen when the children uh, were still very young. Um, they could be very young, and so the parents set it up. You, you didn't know, but some of you have parents that are setting you up as well. We've made agreements. <laughs> You'll know later. But this was the engagement. And then the betrothal. In this stage, the bridegroom and bride exchanged promises in a formal ceremony, and the only way they could break this relationship was through a divorce, a formal divorce. Now, this stage usually lasted about one year, about one year of betrothal. The third stage is marriage. This was a special ceremony. Both the bride and groom were, uh, wore special clothing, and there was this procession by the groom. At some point, it was not announced. And, and I, I find this beautiful, this anticipation, right? The bride is to be ready at all times. Clothed rightly. With all of her companions also ready. Because the bridegroom could come at any moment. Usually lasted about a year. But it didn't have to last a year. The bridegroom, as he comes with his companions, would come to the bride's home, pick her up in his bends and take her... No, I'm just kidding. Pick her up with her companions and go back to his home. And have a wedding feast. I, I just, I, I think about that and it's like, wow, that's just, that's so special. It's, it's beautiful. I just did a wedding yesterday. And uh, I don't know, when I was standing there. And sometimes, you know, you, you do these weddings and it's like just the, the specialness of it all. Right? The whole symbolism too is just beautiful. And my eyes kind of sweat a little bit, as Robert was saying. 
But what a beautiful thing. This, is, this was what took place at that point. And this is what Jesus knew that they understood. As he's giving this parable, as, as he's telling this parable, he, he knows that they know this is what took place in that day. This is how it went down. This is what happened, right? They would go back to the bridegroom's home and they would enjoy the wedding feast together. The ceremony would continue until they were escorted to the bridal chambers where they would consummate their marriage and the marriage festivities would continue. You know how long these wedding festivities would last? Oh, not hours. Days. A week. A week. Um, I'm just drawn back in my mind to the days that I, I, I used to go and, and spend time um, with my aunts and uncles in Mexico when we'd get together for Christmas. And um, literally, it was like uh, days of festivities. The aunts and uncles would come by. When my grandmother died, let me tell you this. When my grandmother died, she left over 100 children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I mean, when we got together, yeah, it was, it was a lot. When we got together for a family reunion, we had to rent a hall. And trust me, we filled it up. And this was, when did we go? We went back in 98, I think it was, um, to this uh, family reunion. And it was, it was huge. So you can imagine for us, you know, it was just like a week-long feast. <laughs> and my cousins and everyone would come. And so I could, for me... I can picture this, a week-long festival of just celebrating the marriage of these two. Just beautiful. Just bringing gifts and just enjoying time together. So understanding the customs of that day, we can better understand the parable that we have before us, right? It's it's not like, okay, so this is what it is, you know, and I don't fully get it, but okay. No, we, we can't fully get it. We can understand what went on in that day, and what it was that the disciples understood when Jesus spoke this parable. What it means and what Jesus was communicating to his disciples then and his disciples now today. Five foolish, five wise. Jesus goes on to set the stage saying that five were foolish and five were wise. Did I say that five were foolish and five were wise? And he'll explain what he means by this. Foolishness is lacking good sense or judgment. Not good. Wisdom is possessing good sense and judgment. Good. There's good. That which is right. That which is foolish. This is the distinction that Jesus is making and we would be wise to seek to understand this. And then the wise and foolish is explained. Again, let's read verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
Now, we need to just point out a few things. Both the foolish and the wise, they fell asleep. They got tired, right? They were waiting. It's just quite natural for the body to start shutting down. We need some rest, right? And so you can just imagine them. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. We heard the bridegroom was coming, but they just, they both fell asleep. But the distinction comes at the cry. That's where the distinction is made. That proclamation. It was at midnight that all of a sudden they heard, Here is the bridegroom! Oh, here he is. They, they heard it at midnight. We're sleeping, man. Come on. And here you are yelling in the streets. Oh, yes. No, the, you don't understand. The bridegroom is here. He's come. He's here. Come and see him. Come and meet him. He is here. It's at that point that there was this distinction made between the two groups of virgins. Remember that, that what I explained earlier, the bridegroom and his companions would walk to the bride's home and they would pick her up along with their companions and go back to the bridegroom's home where they would enjoy a special wedding feast and further ceremonial blessings took place throughout the week. So this is what they were waiting for. The women knew that the bridegroom was coming soon along with his companions, but just didn't know exactly when. They fell asleep having their lamps in hand and were awoken at midnight when they heard the proclamation, Here is the bridegroom. Oh, come out to meet him. When they woke up from their sleep, they put their torches in order, meaning... um, they made sure that everything was right. Uh, whatever material was on the end of this pole was all secured, ready to go. They made sure that it was soaked in sufficient oil for the remainder of the trip back to the bridegroom's home. And it was the foolish ones that realized, oops. That's basically what we can say. They said, oh, oh gosh, hey, listen. Oh, we just realized we were getting our torches ready for the return. And we just realized we don't have enough oil. Give us some. Uh, sorry. If we give you some, we won't have enough to go back, to make it all the way back. You'll have to go to the market to buy some. And of course, as we see here, while they were doing so, the bridegroom came with his party, picked up his bride and her party, including the five virgins who were ready, and they went back, they went back to his home to enjoy the wedding feast. And then the doors were closed. I don't know if you've heard this before, but I heard it said many times, and it's kind of just stuck in my head. It's better to be an hour early than a minute late. Never will this be more applicable than at this moment when eternity is what's at stake. Do you think you have another minute? Do you believe that you have another second? 
Is that guaranteed to you? Sometimes we are so filled with ourselves, so just full of nonsense. We're so arrogant to think that the next moment is a guarantee. I will live the way I want to live my life. Don't tell me how to live it. Don't tell me I need to repent. I Don't tell me I, I need to live differently. I, I don't want to. I refuse, and that's it, period. So be it. You remain there then, condemned already in your sin. And just know that. Please know that. And I'm not saying this because I desire that of you. I do not desire that of you. Just as the Lord wishes that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be that. We should understand the heart of God. And, and, and He desires that all should come to that place of repentance, of knowing Him personally, intimately, as Lord, as Savior. Because the next moment, I, on, be honest with you, I am not guaranteed that I will make it off this platform this morning. I'm not guaranteed that. I could at any moment just drop. That's it. I don't have another moment to repent. I, I, don't, I don't have any more time. I don't have time to go to the market and, and go get the oil necessary for my torch to go back with the bridegroom and into his chambers and enjoy the wedding feast with him if I am not ready right now. I, I don't have that time. The five foolish women went to get oil while the bridegroom came and returned and they finally made it to the bridegroom's home. They knocked at the door but were not let in. Oh, the pleading. The pleading. The rich man and Lazarus it reminds me of that story. Oh, the pleading, please. At least my family, go talk to them. Oh, you think if the dead rise that that will change their minds? No. Not even then. If you right now in your heart are being convicted, understanding the love of God that He has for you and that Jesus died on the cross for you, then respond this morning. Don't wait. We're not guaranteed the next moment. The pleading. Lord, Lord, open to us. But no matter how much they pleaded, it was too late. It's too late. We read here that the master was the one who answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And the point of this parable is the last statement, which says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You do not know it. What does it mean to be ready? To have oil for when the bridegroom does come. But what does this mean? You know, sometimes we go through and we just assume, just as we look at this parable and we assume that everyone knows what Jesus is speaking of. I mean, you all just have read and studied and know exactly what the culture of the day is. No? No. No. And it brings me great joy to explain these things to you that you may understand that we may grasp its meaning. What does it mean 
to be ready? What does it mean to have this oil? For that, God has considered to be wise. The five that didn't have the oil were foolish. Well, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven to start out with. This was at the beginning of the parable. Verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like, for the sake of eternity in God's glory, according to God's truth, this is not subjective or relative or progressive or cultural and much less social truth. There is something called absolute truth, and it comes from the very Word of God. That is the kingdom of heaven. There's no bringing it one way or the other according to our liking. It is what it is. We can't bend truth. It is truth. We will either stand on truth or we will be broken by it. But there's nothing in between. This is absolute truth according to the authority in what is true, God. The ten virgins, those who appear to be waiting for the bridegroom, Jesus, those who appear to be waiting for the bridegroom. By all outward appearances, it looks like all ten are ready and waiting for the return of the bridegroom. No? That's what we have. We have ten with torches. There's one thing that's missing. The five wise virgins, those who are actually ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. The five foolish virgins, those who are actually not ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Why they are not ready? No oil. Right? We break it down. This is what we have. This is the interpretation. I'm giving it to you. No oil. What does the oil mean or refer to? The Holy Spirit. How does this apply to us today? Ah, this is where we get to. This is really, really, really important. If you've checked out for the earlier part of the message, tune back in. Let's come back. (laughs) Therefore, is what we get to. Therefore, according to God, you can have people look like they're ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Speaking the words of Christianese. Looking like they're ready, but really not being ready. And the way you know if you're ready is if you have the Holy Spirit Spirit indwelling you. Can you really know that? Yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. How does one know if they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them? I'm sure I could ask for a testimony right now and we will have evidence of a new heart in Christ, of a completely new creature. I can give you mine, but you've already heard mine. I'll pick on one of you in a little bit. I'm just kidding. I won't have you come up. A person who knows God's forgiveness of sins. I... I, I know, I, I'm no longer burdened with that. I, I don't have a, a doubt, uh, kind of confused. It's like, I know I have been forgiven by the Lord because of His Word, and I've come to know God's grace. I have the hope of eternal life with Him. I am His, and He is mine. 
knowing God's grace for salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I, I'm going I'm to read it. And just for those of you who know this, just say amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know. I am not who I used to be. I'm not who I should be right now. But, man, the Lord's working on me, and I know where my home is, and I'm passing through. I'm a pilgrim. I can't wait. Even though there still remains the flesh and world and the devil that we battle against, there is a whole different nature to us. The Holy Spirit indwelling us to give us conviction when we go off in a direction contrary to God's path. We have a desire to read the Bible, for we have come to the knowledge that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We go to the Word of God. We get to know who God is and how it is that He desires for us to live our lives. We go to the Word. We have this desire. I remember first coming to the Lord, and, and I couldn't get my face out of this thing. I still can. I have this deep desire for the Word of God. Do you have a desire for the Word of God? Do you have a worn Bible? I hope so. We have a desire to read the Bible and know God. We have a desire to fellowship and be around others who share a love for Jesus. And our desire for the world and the things of the world continue to dim more and more as the days progress. Less and less. They don't have the lure they once did. Because we're drawing closer to the Lord. As we draw near to God, the word says that he will draw near to us. Draw closer, he draws near to us. As we go into his embrace, he will just bring us in that much tighter. And our longing for Jesus grows. We look expectantly to his coming for us to take us home. I believe Romans 8, 1 through 11 is a section of scripture that will help us understand post-Matthew 25. What it means to have the Holy Spirit received as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ in belief that He is the Son of God who died for my sins and rose from the grave. So please, we're going to read through it. I'm not going to explain it, but let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however... Are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I want to close with this. There's one part in what I just read that I want to point out to you. You may already know what it is because I emphasized it strongly. It's verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then what does it say? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to to him. There's no question there, right? No spirit, no God. Why, when the door was shut, did the Lord say to the five virgins who had purchased the oil, and we, and we get back to this, who had purchased the oil and then came to the wedding feast, were told that he did not know them? Because they they did not have the oil when he returned. When he came. They didn't have the oil. And and what is the oil? A representation of? The Holy Spirit. And we just read. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't don't belong to Christ. You don't know him. That is why when they came, that the Lord said... Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. We do not want to hear those words. Remember that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. And the question again is, are you ready now? At this moment? At this time? Because they were not ready, they were rejected. And not allowed to come into the wedding feast to dine with the groom and bride. They were left out. Do not think for a moment that you have time to get right with God at a later time. Because you don't know that. Just as we spoke about earlier, we, we, you don't know, we don't know that. We don't know that. So just as Jesus explained to his disciples then, we ought to heed his word today. Be ready by being surrendered to Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit. By being filled with the Holy Spirit, by having surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you will be ready for the midnight cry if you first cry out to the Lord for forgiveness of sins and request for Him to be your Lord and your Savior. You need to cry out first. Because when you hear that, that cry, Oh, the bridegroom, He's here. Come out and meet Him. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed for the day of redemption. You will be ready for the bridegroom and you will receive him with joy and you will go out to meet him. Next week, we see the evidence of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit and how they are to live their lives to God's glory. But for the moment, this is like, this is like step one. Are you, are you here? Are you, are you present? Are you, are you here? Hear what the Spirit has to say to the church.
Are you ready? I, I hope you are. That is God's heart. Right now, I'm going to pray for the church. I, you know, we prayed in the back room, and I, I just, we were talking about, to the Lord, about, um, about being ready, about, like, being present, about being a, a church that is passionate about Jesus Christ and His return. Not being kind of lukewarm and not being a church that is kind of indifferent. Uh, you know, we love the gathering of the brethren, but um, are we really ready for His return? Being a church that is completely sold out, given to, devoted to, committed to, and really expectantly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? I pray that if anyone is here who is in a place, and you're part of the church, you are a child of God, that are living in sin, that are have turned your back on the Lord, that today be the day in which you completely surrender to the Lord and just ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Because He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there is anyone here also who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, that today be the day of salvation. That you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins and rose from the grave three days after having been buried. That you believe that. And you desire to be forgiven and know eternal, eternal life in Jesus Christ. For there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you cry out first. Because when you hear that cry from heaven, you will be ready. I pray that we are church and that we show up by the way we live. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord for your grace, your compassion, for your patience with us. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that each and every one of our hearts are completely surrendered to you. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray, Lord, that for those who aren't saved, that, Lord, today, this morning, this moment, Lord, be the moment of salvation when they come to know forgiveness of sins and your grace poured out on them. Lord, that they know a relationship with you, not only now, but for all eternity. And they too can be ready for your coming. And so, Lord, we thank you once more. We give you all the praise and all the honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name.